Blog Talk Radio. What's up out there, Rams Nation? You're listening to Turf Show Radio. This is Van Ram. With me, as always, 3K. How you doing today, 3K? Man, we haven't lost. We haven't lost since last Turf Show Radio. I'm doing triple F phenomenal. I'm doing great. That's right. Undefeated. We're riding an undefeated streak. A one-week yeah, undefeated last, streak. What, I was going to say about 12 days. We've been undefeated for 12 days. That's a hell of a streak. That's right. That's right. That's um, <clears throat> Hopefully it'll go on a little bit longer this week. With a tough game against rival Seattle. Yeah. Pete yeah. Carroll, the Pete Carroll Photoshop contest. Off to a good start. It is. We got another game, so I expect I expect more submissions by the next time it comes around. But uh, it, it was a fun first run through. It was a first. It was a good first run through. We had some some creative entries. I have to. I'll have to say. He makes, it makes me want to dust off it, the Photoshop. Yeah, it you got to be it creative when you're a Rams fan. Yeah, that's it. Three K. What, what are your early thoughts on the week here? On the week ahead, on the Seattle game, or on the week on the that, Seattle that game had? here? Let's talk Seattle. Let's jump right in. Well, you know, it's like it's like keeper skill set on the the open third. It was something I was thinking about, and it, you know, I think one of, one of the keys, obviously, to the Seattle game is how we come out. This game's different in that the expectations are are legitimate. Uh, you know. Now we're going into a game having won last week where people are expecting the Rams to at least play winnable football, especially at home against a Seattle team that has been up and down, but obviously they're not horrible. But now that there's a sense that the Rams are on track, that they're improving, and I, I think there's a level of expectation that we just haven't had, what, for two years maybe, maybe just last year, but nevertheless, there's, there's a sense that this team is improving, and as it improves, those expectations increase, and I'm interested to see now with that level of expectation behind it and a fan base that wants to see this team win sooner rather than later, as always. Um, I'm just yeah, interested absolutely. to see how we come out the gate this week. Yeah, and, you know, I, that was a much better game last week against the Redskins in the second half, and, and that obviously compared to you think back to the Oakland game where really kind of the Oakland started jamming it down our throat in the second half of the game. And that was Oakland, and this was Washington with Donovan McNabb, and, you know, by all accounts, should have been a better team. I think, you know, the loss to the Rams has created quite an existential crisis for the for Redskins fans in that community, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. It's interesting, though, I was thinking about that. The Rams are 2-1 and one versus the Redskins in the last three years, and we're one win versus the rest of the, you know, what is it? Two wins. And that, went over the Cowboys. And that loss. Went over the that Lions. That loss was as close as, you can, as close as a loss can be. We barely lost to the Redskins that one game that we do, did lose last year. Yeah, and it was just kind of a drop. Was it Donnie Avery dropped a pass right yes. at the five-yard line? It was kind of – there's a whole bunch yep. of stuff like that in that game that, you know, as usual. And then and then what happened was our schedule we and then we had the Packers, the Vikings, and the Colts within about the next six weeks, four weeks or so, so – uh, it, it was tough. That was a tough spot for the Rams to be in last year, and, and I think this is a good week. Uh, you know, they're, they're coming off a win over Washington last week, headed into a division rivalry against Seattle. Seattle's playing on the road. That's a you know obviously an advantage for the Rams. Um, must win game. I, I guess when you're a team like the Rams, every game's a must win game. So I hate to kind of use that cliche, but it seems like a you know. They really kind of need to come out hard on this game and and and, and try to 
lock up the W to kind of move the season forward and 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 keep keep some hope alive, keep building toward next year. I mean, it's a it's a big game, but it's not an easy matchup as you covered today in your preview. We've been talking a little bit about this week on the site 3K. What? Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say what 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 we're looking ahead to the matchup. The one thing that stands out is the run defense. Yeah, I think so it's strange. A, you know, it's hard to it's hard to say there's a must win game, but the the thing about the Rams is a must win is pretty much the same as a can win game. Any any game that you expect that the Rams legitimately can win, almost you know becomes a game that they need to win because there are so few games, especially looking at the rest of the schedule. That, that you yeah. feel that, okay, th- this is a game that they really legitimately can win. The Redskins may not have been that game. The Oakland game probably was. So those maybe flipped each other. But playing at home against the Seahawks, that's a game that I think these Rams can win. And, and you know, being the team that we are, you've got to take advantage of those opportunities when they're this few and far between. The strange thing about the Redskins game compared to this one, and even compared to the Oakland game, was that first half against the Redskins seemed like a game in and of itself. It was like a microcosm of the Rams. We, we did a great job early. You could tell they came out really focused, seven points off the turnover, strong offensive line blocking that led to Steven Jackson, and that run was on him, that, what, 42-yard touchdown, however long it was. It was a great yeah. run. He got to the second level, and then his vision and breakaway speed that finished off the drive went up 14 nothing, and then everything collapsed in the second quarter. It was, a, it was, to me, the worst quarter of football that we played this season, worse than the third in a, Oakland and then we came out with the second half and it was the it was the anti-Rams almost we were the ones who made the adjustments who came more prepared that were more disciplined that were converting third downs moving the ball you know it, it was almost the opposite of what we had gotten so used to and then as we had the lead we did one thing that we've never really been in much of a position to do and that's hold a lead we killed time with the run Gain first down. Again, you know, third down conversions, huge. Sam came up with that third and 20 at the end of the game, you know, to ice it and finish mm-hmm. it. It's not a position that we're in that much. I don't know if we're going to be in one that week, but that was, a, that was as, as textbook as it can possibly be on how to finish a game when you've got a lead. Against Seattle, you know, you, you look at some of the things we did. I think part of it, you talked about run defense. Uh, I think that's got to be on both sides of the ball. We have to be able to run the ball effectively. You know, whether it's Steven Jackson, who obviously, you know, injury issue right now is going to be a game-time decision. But we've got to be able to move the ball. It doesn't have to be huge chunks of yards. But we saw what Kenneth Darby can do. You know, I've always been biased. I've liked Ken Darby as a backup running back. If he's got holes, he can give you a six-yard run when it looks like a six-yard run. If it looks like a two-yard run where Steven Jackson can turn a two-yard run into a six-yard run, that's not what Kenneth Darby is. That's why he's a backup running back. But if the offensive right. line comes out and gives us the same kind of lanes they did against the Redskins, I could see us moving the ball effectively on the ground. That's what you need. You don't need 100 yards and a touchdown at the Derby. You just need them to move the ball and give more opportunities to Sam Bradford. On the defensive side, we just can't see what we saw against Seattle last year. Justin Forsett, you know, you can't allow a guy like Justin Forsett and an offensive line like Seattle's, whether or not they have Okun going, to move the ball as easily as they did, and especially the longer, longer runs that they had last year. So that's, you know, that's obviously going to be a huge focus is who moves the ball on the ground because the aerial game is going to be where, you know, the highlights and the touchdowns are probably going to come from. Well, and I think that's what, you know, the Seattle this season has, has been giving up a lot of yards there. Kyle Orton passed for 400 yards on them. Phillip Rivers passed for 400, um, close, around 400 yards on them. I mean, that's a – you know, obviously teams are getting it done against the, picking on Seattle's cornerbacks. Uh, Trufant's probably the best one. I think you mentioned today in your preview, but 
They've got a talented rookie safety in um, Earl Thomas. Kind of a rematch with uh, with for Bradford. He, you know, a guy he's somewhat familiar with from college, from his college days, the old Red River rivalry. A game going on right now, as a matter of fact. That's right. Um, you know, the Rams, I, one thing I, I think that's interesting to see is the Rams really opened it up. You look at that second half last week, and you mentioned this just a minute ago with the adjustments they made, but they really kind of opened it up, and they, they kind of took – they went off script, it seems like, from what they've done the last couple weeks and last season. And what you saw was they're making adjustments at the line. They're calling in run plays to the huddle, and then they're switching it up at the huddle or at the line, depending on the coverage and, and the defensive scheme in front of them. And a lot of that's on going to Bradford's shoulders. They're moving out there in three, four wide receivers. The Rams have run passed out of a six wide receiver, six times out of a four wide receiver set. And all that was last week. All those attempts came last week against Washington. Um, I suspect we'll probably see that again this, you know, this week. I certainly hope so. But it seems like they've opened it up a lot and gotten a little more creative with the play calling. And 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 I know that's probably going to make a lot of the anti-Pat Shermer people happy to hear. But I, um, as far as sticking to it this week, I, I think it, it behooves them to do that, especially if they don't have Stephen Jackson. Yeah, and I think you have to wonder how, how much of that is, you know, personnel issues. And we got a caller on the line. I'll bring him in as soon as you're ready. But, you know, you have to wonder how much of that is, you know, due to injuries, whether it's LaRon Robinson who was playing hurt, Donnie Avery's gone, um, Humana Wanui, obviously, a tight end, and even Fells who was dealing with, the, you know, an issue of the splits that kind of hurt him and pulled him back a little yeah. bit. So you're dealing with some personnel issues at the at the position. I just wonder if that forced Pat Shermer to get more creative, and as he did, he found success in it. That's a bit of a condemnation that he was so uncomfortable, you know, to go that route before, despite having the personnel. You wonder what he could have done. But yeah, obviously, it, it worked a good it worked a good measure when you're working in you know short wide receiver screens and spreading the field horizontally as well as vertically. You can do some good things. But I'm gonna go ahead and bring this caller on, Ben, if you're ready, man. Let's do it. Let's see. Caller, you are on the air. Hello. Hello. Three K. Like we just get. I, I don't know, man. We've we got every week. We've on. got one caller that can't get that. There's a technical issue. And you always get the background noise. You know, the white noise. It sounds like the TV's on in the background. I don't know what it is, man. I got. I got to get knows? better at this technical. Side. I got to get better at my switchboard skills. I guess I got to get in the studio. I, 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 you know what? I, I here's my here's my sense of it. Somebody's on AT and T. Somebody on the East Coast is on AT and T service, and it's not. It's not on our end. It's on AT and T. See, now end. now you got the issue of commercialism, man. Sprint. You know, you got Sprint uh, sponsoring SB Nation posts. Come on, what is it? This court? <laughs> are you some kind of corporate pig? Then shilling for Sprint. No, I'm just a, I, I'm just somebody that has AT and T service themselves and knows the pain <laughs> all too well. There you go. Hey, 3K. I, just, if we if if caller, if you call back and we'll try to get you on. Hopefully, you know, get to maybe get to a place where you're getting some better reception or something. Um, but you know, certainly feel free to give another shot. But 3K, I, let's let's get back to where we were here. I, I have kind of a crazy cockamamie theory here, and we're talking about the Rams. Um. Mixing up the offense. You know, I, I love my cockamamie theories, man. I love my cockamamie hey, theories. Get the, get your tinfoil hat out and get ready for this one because this <laughs> is this is New World Order, black helicopters, 
<laughs> microchips in our butts, all that stuff coming right out at you, only it's Rams-centric. I, I, I kind of wonder if, you know, we've seen some adjustments like you talked about with personnel issues. Obviously, tight end's a position where we've been hit pretty hard. Wide receiver with Laurent Robinson, Donnie Avery. Um, but it seems like the big change came with when Steven Jackson left the game. And I just kind of wonder, I, mean, I don't know, this is just a theory, and it wouldn't surprise me, but if maybe with Steven Jackson out of the game, they feel like there's more of an impetus to kind of use the players. Obviously, it's, it puts a lot more load on Bradford's shoulders, which is probably a good thing. I think that's a really positive thing. He responds to it really well. But it seems like, you know, with some of the running calls and you're running out, you, you know, they're run, they went out there in some three and four wide receiver sets and ran the ball with Darby and Tostin. Tostin, I'm sorry. Um, it seems like with Jackson out, they got much better about the play calling than they did with Jackson in. And and I don't, I just wonder if it's there's this level of thinking that's like, well, you know, he's Steven Jackson, he's a great back, he can do it all. Let's just you know give it to him and let him do his, you know, just work it that way, work it with a traditional, you know, I go out there in traditional I formation and expect him to blow through these you know eight nine man fronts like he did last year. But that's not happening. And when Jackson left the game, it forced them, it seems like it forced them, again, this is my crazy theory, that it forced them to get a little more creative, go off script a little bit. Um, did you get that sense? Do you think that's what's going on? Do you think that's part well, of it? or, or we'll... I'll say this, that second half was the best run blocking we've had offensively all, you know, all season. So I don't know. I don't know if it was a play calling issue. I don't know. It may have been a. It, it may have been you know just players knowing on the field that without Stephen Jackson, you've got to bring your A game to make up for the deficiency that you're going to get in terms of running talent behind that line. But certainly it was, it was a much more productive offensive run blocking half than we've seen all season. So I don't. I don't know. I mean, it may be the comfort level like you talked about, and that uh, you, even Shermer as a coordinator knows that without him, he's got to try, find ways to create yards. But the passing game didn't seem all too different to me than the first half when we had Steven Jackson. So the game plan in terms of passing seemed relatively similar. But the run blocking, the quality jumped way out in the second half. I mean, you talk about a guy like Kenneth Darby who people have been hitting on for, what, two, three years now. And he was able to move the ball effectively, get a touchdown. And it was all because of that offensive line. The offensive line was just giving him, you know, a small little lane that he was able to take advantage of. And then he finished the touchdown run. So, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think it's too cockamamie of a theory. On the cockamamie scale, it's maybe minimal mamie. Oh, well, then, you know. Well, and I'll say, though, you go back to the first half, and you did see more. There were more carries for Steven Jackson that came on the outside than I think we'd seen in weeks past. Now, I'm, I'm saying that without, you know, having the play-by-play sheet in front of me. But, you know, you really thought we saw a, a, a – didn't Jackson's touchdown run come around? It came on the right side, if I'm – it started. Yeah, it started on a. It started on a strong off tackle run, and then he bounced it out to the left when he saw that lane. Once he got to the and second. He had level. a nice kind of second level block from Jason Smith. Yeah. Kind of, that kind of sprung him a little bit, and that's when Jackson kind of turned on the burners and did it himself. But you know, yeah, we weren't seeing a lot of runs like that. And I think I think last week again, I'm saying this without the play by play in front of me, but uh, you know. I, Last week we saw some runs on the left side, which we had not seen in the first two games of the season at all, with yeah, Jackson and about Darby last, as well. Last week on Turf Show Radio. You know, I, I think that's one thing you have to 
we talk about the fact that you have to diversify the passing game, but you have to do as much to diversify the running game as well. And, you know, maybe maybe those early looks on the weak side in the first half were able to open it up for the offensive line in the second half. Now, another thing that you wrote about this week was the use of John Greco. I think he obviously made a huge, huge impression on the offensive line. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a guy, too, you know, in August he was in, he had a torn pectoral muscle, so. He didn't see much action in, you know, practice or preseason games in August, you know, that first week of September. So, you know, he was a guy that was kind of expected to compete for the starting right guard job. And a lot of people kind of had him penciled. I did. I had him penciled in as the starting right guard when camp opened. But injuries, you know, spoke otherwise. They tried Hank Fraley there, and Hank Fraley was a disaster against the Minnesota defensive front. Not that that's an easy defensive front to play against, but, you know, Hank Fraley was not good in that spot. They brought in Goldberg. You know, Goldberg's a solid guard. It's not a, maybe not the best guard. He's a good pass blocker, not a great run blocker, but he's a leader. He's got the fire. Um, but they brought Greco in, and it sounds like they're going to do that again this week. And, and I think that's a smart move. A, I want to see what Greco has to offer. He's a third-round draft pick. You know, you got to start. You know, this is a guy that needs to start paying dividends. But it also seems like a smart move to switch up. And also with David Vibora on. Um, on the weak side, linebacker spot, bringing that in to kind of bolster that outside run defense, which has been – the run defense has been pretty good, but, you know, the weak spot for the run has been on the outside, and that's where they've kind of been gouged. You know, certainly you saw that with McFadden. You saw it on that one drive against Arizona with Hightower. Um, I, I think those are some smart roster adjustments the Rams are making. Now, how do you – now let's – how do you bring in Greco then and not give it away? Is this where you're kind of going in and you're calling the run out – you're calling the run and the huddle and then – you're getting up to the line, and Bradford sees the defense, and maybe that's when they switch to the pass. Is that is that how you handle it, that, 3K? Is- part of it. I mean, he used he did that twice. You can always just flip a run. You can always just flip a run to the other side. They usually have a call, whatever the keyword, the buzzword is for that, whether, you know, in high school we used to use different states. Any state that started with a vowel would mean to flip the other side of the run. So you call out Alabama, Ohio, what, Idaho any of those kind of – and states that begin with a Y, although we don't have any states, but were we to add a state to the union that started with a Y, we allowed that Y, y states would count as a run-audible flip. Uh, you, I mean, and even in the past, we saw last week, he flipped those two passes. One was to Clayton, I think. The other one was to Amendola, I believe, if I remember right. But he would check down and give his yeah. little head nod or whatever the physical signal is to drop that wide receiver screen. And that's on the quarterback. That's on the quarterback to acknowledge the fact that there's a there's a hole in the defense. And if they don't take advantage of that hole, it could end up ugly because they're either bringing a blitz or they're going to cover real heavy or they've sniffed out the side that the run's going to, and that's what he feels most comfortable in terms of his audible. That's the first time we've seen Sam Bradford do that multiple times in the game, and it worked well. So that's one, that's one way to get out of it. Another way is to use Greco in those passing formations or even in play action, you know, make it look like a run and take advantage of the expected run so that you get him into passing play so that you throw the defense off in terms of personnel. There's different ways to deal with it. There's not always, you know, one answer, but certainly you want to vary it up enough so that they know, okay, when you've got a jumbo package and Greco's in there or even just a, you know, generally three-ride receiver set, whatever it may be, but just to, just to throw it off so that if they see Greco, they don't assume that it's going to be a run. Yeah. I, you know, there's another, and just a quick aside here, but there's another advantage of working Greco in there, and that is is obviously Goldberg's your primary backup at either the left or right tackle spot. So, you know, you also can kind of 
you just kind of wonder if maybe they won't start using Greco more and more and more as the season goes on and, and bring Goldberg back out and, and, you know, have that contingency in place should the worst happen and you lose a tackle again. And I have to say, Jason Smith, you know, here's a guy that's really stepped it up this season. He's been sharp. He's he's played well, I think, in the last the last two games. There were a few moments in the first outing, I think, that, you know, weren't his best. But, you know, he he's a guy that's living up to his potential. Um, I, it's good to see. It's good to see. But uh, any yeah, other thoughts, 3K? I, I totally agree on Jason Smith. you got to remember he's missed a lot of time, not only last season, but, you know, throughout the offseason, preseason. Uh, you know, he's working on different things in terms of run blocking now that you're not generally expected to as a left tackle. And at this time last year, while he was playing on the right side with Alex Barron on the left, I think it was a fair assumption that we all more or less knew that Barron was going to be gone and that opened up the spot for Jason Smith proper, you know, probably to take over. Yeah. When we drafted Saffold, it became, you know, a camp issue and it got sorted out. But now he's been working on his run blocking. And like you mentioned on that Steven Jackson run, he's making a lot of second-level blocks. And when you have a guy like Steven Jackson in that, if you can if you can make those second level blocks as 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 cleanly as you do those first level blocks, you're going to open up some really 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 long runs. Now, if Jackson yeah. doesn't play this weekend, you know you really want the first block to be clean because a guy like Ken Darby isn't going to slip a lot of tackles, or even Tostin or Chauncey Washington, who we signed this week. Um, those aren't guys that are going to make a lot of plays on their own. You know that's why they're not. You know, right. mentioned with the you know Stephen Jackson, Adrian Peterson. Those are the kind of guys that when run blocking breaks down, they can make something out of it, and make a four yard loss into a four yard gain. They're just that talented. We don't have anybody besides Stephen Jackson on the roster that can do that. So it's going to be really important for guys like Jason Smith and Greco if he's on the right, and even Jason Brown who's really been mauling and he's been showing great great strength up the middle to open up those blocks so that we can get as much done in the running game as we need to. Yeah, and that's a good. I mean, and that'll be a, that'll be kind of the key matchup this week, whether Jackson plays or not. It's just you know that how they match up with that Seattle front 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 defensive line that Seattle has. I mean, that's what's been a hot, you know the strongest unit on their team so far this year, and I guess yeah, maybe you could argue special teams too. But yeah, but no, that so, defense that'll be, that'll be a key matchup. Yeah, and that's too, you know, and it also comes back to it's getting those. You know, being in those short yardage situations, those three, two, one yard, one yards to go. That's a, you know, that's that's a key area for the Rams' offensive line to be able to capitalize on, or at least to be able to have that. You know, with, with a guy like Bradford, come out there and in that situation, look like you're going to run, and then put it and then put it on a short screen or or flip it over the middle or something like that. So. It's a good yeah, option the to have. Situations is, to, is to make sure that you can threaten the run. Otherwise, all you got to do as a defense is blitz and make sure you have your quick cover down. If you can cover the wide receivers for the first second and a half, the blitz is generally going to get to the quarterback 80%, 90% of the time. So it's going to be really, really important if you know we do indeed try to put that on Bradford's shoulders that we at least have the threat of the run and, and are able to successfully maybe get a third and two, a second and two, whatever the case may be so that they know that we're willing to run and capable of doing it to pick up those first downs in those situations. Yeah, I mean, right. it really comes down to that first half and specifically that first quarter on who can come out and set the tone and show what they're able to do so that it opens up the rest of the book for the rest of the game. Well, and then you go back to the Rams. I know this is a little bit of a different team, but you go back to – and same for Seattle, but you go back to the Rams games against Seattle last season. You talk about kind of – Coming out, getting a strong start, and setting the tone. That obviously did not happen to the Rams, if you will remember last year. 
So that's a, that'll be a key a key factor at play this year. JK, yeah. what, let's talk about their special teams. Leon Washington had two two special teams touchdowns that kind of gave them. Well, one of them put them over the top against San Diego last week. I mean, a San Diego team that was heavily favored, even with even at home against Seattle. Um, the Rams have obviously lost some pretty good. You know, you've lost Chamberlain, you've lost Dominic Curry. That's you know, those are a couple of special teams aces right there. But you've brought in Chauncey Washington, who is a good special teams player as well, and and will go out there and start contributing on special teams right away. Is this a concern? You know, it has to be. I mean, they're coming off – anytime you, you're playing a team that the week before – and I know we got a caller. I'll get to you as soon as we can. Anytime you come against a team that the, the week prior scored two, you know, return touchdowns, you've got to be worried about their capabilities and the fact that that changed the game. You talked about the fact that Rivers threw all over the Seahawks defense. He had, I think, 400-plus yards thrown, like something like 454, I think. He, he threw all over that defense, and yet they lost by a touchdown, and they had 14 points out of the return game. A hundred yard yeah. uh, kickoff uh, in, in the early third quarter, I think, and then at the end they had that kickoff in the fourth with like six minutes to go, and that finished the game. So I think the key is going to be limiting turnovers. San Diego had five turnovers in that game; they had three fumbles that they lost, and uh, Philip Rivers threw two interceptions. So it's going to be limiting turnovers, and then, like you said, in terms of special teams, Leon Washington's a capable guy. Maybe, and they talked about people talked about it on Turtle Times this week. Maybe you got to work in some corner punts. So you don't give Leon Washington the ability to return the ball out of the middle of the field and use the lanes that Seattle special teams obviously can create uh, to break open those long runs. Yeah, and you know, obviously with the punting situation too, the Rams have the punter that, can, that you know one of the better punters in the league by by any measure. So um, let's flip it over to the other side of the ball. I, I, you know, I, I've been pretty impressed with the Rams' defense this season. Now, I, granted, Arizona and Oakland. And I guess Washington, when probably when the things are all sorted out at the end of the year, aren't the you know the most intimidating offenses out there. But you know we've seen some solid play from the defense, and I really think the secondary has kind of been the strongest unit of the bunch. Yeah, it's true. I mean the defense has been really strong. You look at a team that hasn't given up even 20 points. I think it's what 17 and 16 twice. Either, either way, it's in the high teens. We've done what we needed to do defensively. And last week we did what we needed to offensively, and that won us the game. So it's definitely the unit that I think most people probably have the most confidence in. And speaking of confidence, have I have confidence that technically I have brought on the next caller. So caller, if you're here, let us know. Hello? Hello. This is Ram Chopper. Chop. What's up, Ram Chop? I tell you guys, uh, I'm happy, but I'd be more happy if we were 3-0. and Oh, absolutely, and we very well could be three. Could have been three. We now. we we should have we should have been, and I won't I won't keep you long. But uh, my my gut feeling for tomorrow's game is, I think it's our defense. Um, it's been my experience that if you let Hasselback hang out with a lot of time to throw, he'll kill you. But if you put pressure on him, he's really an old guy. And uh, yeah. if you put pressure on him, he goes all to pieces. So if we can blitz and the, and the uh, front four can get some pressure on him, I think we got a good shot at winning tomorrow. If we um, if we don't get back there and hassle him, I'm afraid he'll chew us up. 
Absolutely. And, you know, the the Rams' defense, like, when you go back to last week against Washington, they did a great job getting pressure on. Yes, they certainly did. Chasing him out of the pocket. You know, got, they got hits on him, and then they did the first week against Derek Anderson too. Now the only week, the week where they were kind of weak at that was against Oakland. Yeah, that Gradowski so, guy, Gradkowski or whatever, he was just on a roll that day. But um, uh, but anyway, like I said, not to take up a lot of time. That's the key I see to this game. I think uh, I think our offense is more than capable of scoring on the Seahawks, and surely to goodness. After what they did to San Diego last week, and two two runbacks will be doing a lot of squib kicks or kicking them out of the end zone or something. So yeah, absolutely. I, I feel pretty good about tomorrow. Like I said, if, if I see him, if I see him getting pressure on Hasselback, I'll feel pretty good about the game because I swear, if we lose eleventh in a row to Seattle, I'm going to bust a gut. <laughs> I can't, yeah, it's I can't time to beat the Seahawks. It. It's been too long. It is. I hate those guys, and we, we've had them beaten and let them off the hook at least three or four of the times we've played them, and it's it's time to really stomp them. But, but anyway, that's my two cents this week. Thanks for thanks for chipping in there, Ramtop. Yeah. Always good to hear from you. Thank you, guys, and uh, we'll talk later. Bye. All right, man. <clears throat> 3K, let's talk a little bit about the pass rush this week. No, I mean, it's a good point the- from the – Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm looking at the box score here, and, you know, we just talked about the two special teams touchdowns that Seattle had. You take it away, last week against the Chargers, Hasselbeck was sacked three times, and he passed for like 220 yards. 220 yards, one touchdown, one INT. Yeah, well, Hasselbeck hasn't had a great season. I mean, part of it is that he's limited. He doesn't have a a huge, you know, quality wide receivers. But he he threw for under 200 against San Francisco in that week one dominating when they had 31 to 6. The loss Mm -hmm. against Denver the second week, I think he threw for uh, about uh, 240, something like that. But he threw the most uh, of the season. He had like 20-something completions, 30-something attempts. And this last week, I think he went 19 for 32. I was looking at the box score earlier. For about for like you said, 220 yards uh, against Denver, he threw three interceptions. The best game he had was against San Francisco. He had two touchdowns and one interception. So it's not like he's been overwhelmingly impressive. It's just that he's been limited, and he limited a lot, he limits a lot of his throws, like we saw in Bulger in the latter years, to the safer throws. Now, obviously, he's still throwing five interceptions through three games, but he doesn't have wide receivers who can go up and snatch the ball. Uh, in, in those high-pressure situations. And I know we got some more callers. I'll get to them in a second. But I Ooh. think the thing you have to be careful about in terms of putting pressure on Hasselbeck is throwing too many blitz coverages at him. We saw against Gradkowski that when we sit back without the blitz, what Oakland was able to do was isolate the outside linebackers and coverage, and he took advantage of that, whether it was to the tight end or whether it was uh, quicker passing routes, you know, three and five routes. What we had against Washington was a four-man rush, but we covered much tighter and you saw it when Laurinaitis skirted out to the to the outside line to be able to keep that coverage. If the linebackers can keep the coverage early, we have a four-man front that will eventually get there, just like every four-man front. But we did it with more consistency against the Redskins than we have previously previously in the season. If that's something, you know, if that's a trend, if that portends a trend that's coming, then obviously it allows us to do much more with our defense if we don't have to blitz guys. If, however, in order to get that kind of uh, pressure, we're going to have to blitz guys. You're asking a lot of the linebackers, and when you're talking about Niall Diggs, Vibora, uh, Larry Grant, 
whoever the whoever it is on the outside, that's asking a lot of guys that really you know aren't incredibly filled with raw talent. So it's going to be interesting to see what the game plan is in terms of getting the hassle back. But Chop's right; you got to put something on him. Well, and I was just going to say real quick before we before we jump to the callers, it, it seems like that um, the, there's some similarities in the Seahawks and the Washington offense in that you kind of have you know a stand pat running back situation. You've got um, a tight end who's probably more of a number one wide receiver than your number one wide, wide receivers are. Um, you know, with Santana Moss and Chris Cooley in Washington, and you got John Carlson, obviously, and um, uh, God, is it, Burl- is it Burleson for Seattle that I guess you'd say is their number one wide receiver? I, well, I mean, you got Golden Tate who's coming up, but I, at the time, I guess, I, I guess so right now. Yeah, and and. Okung is um, questionable for Seattle this week. Now I don't, I didn't see if he practiced yesterday or not, but you know he's listed as questionable. He didn't play last week, so you know I, I don't know whether or not he'll play. Three K, should we jump to the callers? We actually lost the caller, man. So I don't know what happened. Caller, if you're here, call on back. We'll get you on. But we lost him before we got, got a chance so to much bring him call- on, man. We've got so much to talk about, you know. We you know, it, it may have been Matt Hasselbeck. It may have been Matt Hasselbeck that was calling, and he was really offended at the tone you took. So uh, may, maybe it's time hey. to issue an apology because I'm, I'm not apologizing to Hasselbeck for nothing. No, I will not apologize to Matt Hasselbeck. He's a 35 year old quarterback. I mean, let's let's uh, you know, this is a good this is a good time to take advantage of that. Let me tell. Let me testify as. As a 34-year-old, the bones, the creaking bones, the rickety joints, it's there. It's there, man. I can only imagine what it's like to be an NFL quarterback. Hey, maybe for you, man, I can still go. I can still go tomorrow. Well, of course, you know. Um, 3K, talk about, uh, let's talk about the secondary a little bit. I really think the secondary has been a pretty strong point for this team. Now, you've got a Togway who's a questionable for this weekend, and hopefully he'll play. He's got a bruised eye that he suffered on a crackback. It was aggravated already. He took that crackback block from Santana Moss last week. That really put it – almost took him out of the game. I think Mike Sando said on his blog over at ESPN that when he went back and watched that, he he was really kind of surprised that he wasn't injured more than he was after seeing that crackback block. Um, is the Tog, are we, you know, with the Togway at limited speed, are we are we still okay, you think? I mean, if he could, does play, but he's limited, are we are we going to be, you know, if he's at 75%, or you think we'll be okay still? Or You know, the, I think the key is how comfortable he feels going after the ball, because still to me, a Togway's greatest, the greatest asset that you get out of a guy like O.J. Togway is his ability to create fumbles. And, and we've seen it all season that when mm-hmm. he gets the fumble, when he can create those fumbles, the Rams put themselves in, in place to to make something out of him. You know, a guy like Bradley Fletcher, who's really coming up really, really big in this next year. And I think, you know, the cornerbacks deserve a lot more credit than they've gotten publicly to this point. They've really been strong, especially deep down the field. Part of that is because we have some comfortability with our safeties. You have a guy like James Butler who came in last week filling in for Craig Dahl, and he did as well as you can do for a fill-in strong safety that you could possibly expect. Uh, James Butler had just a great game, a great game for me uh, last week. In terms of a tog weight, you know, you're not asking a lot of him as good as the coverage downfield has been from the corners. 
I don't think you need to ask a lot of him in coverage. The key is can he create that, you know, interception, that fumble that he's been able to consistently over his career that we're going to need yeah. more, almost more than ever this week against the Seahawks. Yeah, turnovers again. The Rams have done well. I mean, I think that's been one secret to the Rams, the success of the Rams' defense is you know they've done a great job creating turnovers and then taking advantage of the turnovers. Certainly, last week the offense took advantage of the turnovers. That's a you know that'll be key. Um, yeah, and it, it'll be interesting. I mean, just to bring in a comment from the open thread, you know, Tevin brought up that the Rams' second and third quarters have been lacking. I thought the third quarter last week was pretty strong. But, yeah, overall throughout the season, especially last year, we've come out of the half pretty pretty badly. I think that, to me, is the, the more important time to get a big turnover this week. We saw it last week in the first quarter, and we took advantage of it, but we still allowed the Redskins back into the game. The most interesting thing, thing to me is going to see, if we can get a big turnover in the third quarter, whether, you know, whether the game's close, whether we're up by a lot, whether we suffered a lot in that first half and we're down by a bunch, to get a big turnover in the third quarter, get the crowd on our side, and take over the game and allow Sam Bradford to manage that second half the way he's been able to do uh, is going to be really important. If, if O.J. Otagwe can come out injured or not, if he can come out and create a big turnover for us in the third quarter, I think we're going to be in good shape. Yeah, that'll be key. And, you know, one one thing in the third quarter last week that was the difference in the third quarters you've seen so far up up to that point this season it was the – you know, the Rams responded really well. The Washington got the ball to start the half. They marched down. The defense held them to a field goal. Um, but, you know, it still put that still got, got Washington to 16 points. The Rams were sitting at 14. Um, you know, in weeks prior, and certainly last season had that happened, you kind of – it would have been fairly easy to predict what would have happened following that. But last week, the Rams took advantage – the Rams – March right back down the field and got some points on the board. So, you know, hopefully that swagger's back this week. Um, and and you know, as Tevin says, I hope that the, then we'll have a see a better second and third quarter again this week. Yeah. Three K. Other is, thoughts on your mind? I was just going to say. I mean, the only thought really. I mean, now that we're talking about it, was the way that. The Rams' offense stayed composed after the field goal. It, it was really easy after the second quarter that we had, and then that field goal where Washington went up 16-14, to 14, that we could have easily collapsed and we could have said, you know, we've seen this before, we should have known it was coming. But we were able to manage the offensive line so well and allow Sam Bradford to make a lot of short passes. I'm looking at the play-by-play right now. First and 10, pass short right to Amendola for eight. Second and t- two, we had the coast and, uh, the toast and run got us the first down. Then two more short passes uh, on third or second and fifteen. He got Amendola short, and he was able to skirt forward for eighteen yards. I remember that play. That was, but that's what Amendola does. He exploits those short lanes into larger gains. Then you had Bradford throwing over and over again. A third and ten. Bradford short middle to Daniel Fells that twelve yard run. Even though he was hurt, that was a huge play as well. And that was that was one of the themes of the game was guys were coming up big on third down. And then first yeah. down, it was the Darby show. You know, Darby took it up the middle, uh, got us into the red zone. Bradford passed to Gilliard for, the, for his first down, and then Darby finished off the drive. It, it was good blocking. It was good short passing. That's, that's when, you know, you can see what Shermer wants to do with the offense, and it makes sense as long as you spread the field. I think, I guess, the, part of the key of it is that you've got to have a quarterback that recognizes that the strength of that offense comes from spreading the field. And as long as you've got an offensive line that was doing what it was doing last week, especially in the third quarter where, you're, where you need your offensive line to make the game as easy as possible – for a rookie like Sam Bradford and guys who aren't, let's say, electrically talented like uh, Darby and Toastman, 
if your offensive line is opening things and making the game as easy as possible for them, and a, and a quarterback as smart as Bradford, that's that's got to be a game plan that you've got some confidence in. I know Shermer's not the most popular guy, but if you manage the game plan that way, I think we can be successful against anybody. Yeah, absolutely, and it certainly seems like too. I, you know, I mentioned how things it looked like things maybe changed when Jackson wasn't in the game, and. And it also seems like, you know, they're getting more and more comfortable with Sam Bradford at quarterback and, and his skills and his ability to read defenses and react and, and get the play. They've seen a little bit of what he can do under pressure. They've seen a little bit what he can do at the line. They've seen what he can do under center, under at, in the shotgun, all that stuff too. And, and so there's a comfort level, I think, with Bradford, who's a rookie, rookie quarterback, pretty tough job, any stretch of the imagination, whether you're a first overall pick, sixth-round pick, whatever. It's not an easy task. Um, and, and you can certainly see a, a much stronger Sam Bradford out there over as the weeks have gone by, from week one even to week three. I know that's, you know, a small fraction of the season, but it, it's very encouraging to see that. And it's very, it's very neat, for lack of a better term, to see what the Rams can do now that they really kind of have – a skilled quarterback like that, which isn't to take away anything from Mark Bulger, but you know, the last two years of Mark Bulger's career, he was pretty beat up and pretty limited in what he could do. With Bradford, that's not the case. Um, you know, it, it, it's getting better. It's getting a lot stronger. It's, it's interesting to see. It's fun to watch, and I, and I think that's the bottom line this season. It's been a fun Rams team to watch. Yeah, I mean. It- We've been suffering from the lack of real talent at the quarterback position. Now that it's in place, you see what, a, what the value of having a top-level quarterback in the NFL. You, you've got to have somebody that can manage the entire game plan, the entire field from the position and make it and simplify it. I mean, it doesn't have to be incredibly complex. You don't have to be Peyton Manning out there calling tons of audibles and identifying this part of the defense and managing every single route that all his wide receivers and tight ends are running. It can be very simple, and you can still be effective you just have to know what's going on. You have to have the awareness and the confidence in the rest of your team to be able to make sure that they're ready when the ball comes to them. And I think Bradford's been able to do that as a rookie, and that to me is the most impressive thing that he's done. He's taken command of the field as a rookie. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, I, we've got a bunch of draft talk on the side 3K. We got It looks like it's about a quarter till. Should we jump? Should we flip the switch? Man, I was I was ready at five oh one. You're always ready at five oh one, buddy. I'm always ready for draft talk, man. That's right. Five oh one, that's uh you know, that's the universal happy hour begins. <laughs> um I I see we have a we have a comment about Malcolm Floyd on here. Oh uh, Michael Malcolm Floyd, Floyd a wide name. receiver. Yeah. You know, we've talked about him before having, on the it, show, I know. If he if he's talking to Mel Kuyper, then you know Zaviex, however you say Zaviex, you need to call in, man. Let us know what the the hairpiece is saying. Um, personally, you know Michael Floyd, he's a big guy, strong out of his blocks, uh, good hands, plus hands for a guy his side. My only concern with a guy like Michael Floyd, and this is something of specific concern to a team like the Rams, is he lacks the top end speed that a lot of his peers do. And you know he's still a junior, so he he still has a year of eligibility if he wants to come back. But he just doesn't seem to have the top-end speed that other guys have, and he benefited a lot, I think, from Golden Tate, who was there last year at Notre Dame, and being able to stretch the field vertically. But he's a physically gifted wide receiver. There's no question about that. Golden Tate, a man we'll see this weekend. 
Yeah, and it looks like we got a caller. Maybe there's a Zavi X right here, Van. Let's see. I'm going to try to bring Zavi him on. Zavi X? This works. Is that you, caller? Hello. Piper. Caller. Is it Mel? Mel, is it you? No? Oh. Looks like it's a no-go, man. Oh, man. Well, we'll see. Maybe okay. People. But in any case, Landline. you know, wide receivers in the- it's an interesting position. We were talk- I talked about it this week. You know, you look at the fact who who's in the long term plans for the Rams. It's hard to say that Mark well, Clayton and, and let's Ron go Robinson back to that. I, I was going to say let's start know. with that. Let's start with that because I, you know here's my concern with the Rams, and it's something I've been saying all off season that concerns me about the Rams. The Rams have some talent at wide receiver. That's not the issue. You look at Avery, you look at Robinson, and now you got Clayton in the mix, who's obviously a, you know a veteran and established guy. Certainly not at the end of his career by any means. But it, you go and you look at this, you've got Amendola, Gilliard. There's some talent here. The thing that concerns me is the guys that are at the top of the depth chart right now, well, one of them is already out this season. Robinson is questionable this week. And that's the biggest knock against the Rams receiving group isn't that for as much talk as, as they lack a number one wide receiver, it's, well, to me the problem is they lack – healthy receivers. They lack receivers with a track record of staying healthy. They lack guys that have proven themselves able to play 14, 15, 16 games a season. I mean, that's a big problem. And, and, and now, I don't know, going into next year, obviously Clayton looks like he's a factor going forward for the Rams, but, you know, the truth is he's probably not your number one guy. So you go look over to Laurent Robinson. Well, Laurent Robinson's a guy that's he spent more time on IR than he has you know, seen Playing, t- playing time in the NFL. Donnie Avery, you know, he played last year, but, you know, he was injured a lot of the time. Rookie year, spent some time on the injured list. This year, out for the season with an injury. And, you know, you go forward next year, it's it, 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 that's a big question mark to me. And it makes, obviously, wide receivers I, something I think most people would agree is a priority for the Rams heading, heading into the draft next year. But, you know, health, healthy wide receivers – is just as big of a priority. And I think part of the problem is that the guys that we've drafted haven't been able to pick up their end of the bargain in terms of providing the depth. You look at guys like Brooks Foster and Keenan Burton, they just haven't been able to factor into the games enough, uh, whether it's because they've been injured or because they haven't been game ready in terms of talent, you know, uh, practice, that they just haven't been able to take a lot of the pressure off those guys. So you're forcing Donnie Avery to try to do more than he's capable of you got a guy like LeBron Robinson that you have to bring in who was injured, and you can't ease him in because a team like the Rams needs him to go as early as possible back in 2009, and he ends up getting hurt again. I just think we need to, in terms of wide receivers, I'm not really proud of how we've drafted that position. So it's interesting to me to see which route we're going to go. And there's plenty of, I mean, every year you're talking about tons of wide receivers that come into the league. I I think we have to be more careful about who we're bringing in. Well, and look at you know, look at Mike Williams in Tampa Bay. What, was he a third or fourth round pick this year? He was, but they also took Aurelius Ben at the top. I mean, they were looking at wide receivers, so they took two of them relatively early on. And Mike Williams was a talented guy. He's a first round talent. He just had character concerns and legitimate character yeah. concerns. Uh, it's just one of those things that you've got to you know manage who you want in the locker room, what kind of players you want on the field. And that's not to say that Aurelius Ben isn't going to turn out to be a very productive wide receiver. You're talking about guys that are three weeks into their NFL careers. 
But certainly it yeah. looks like the Mike Williams pick was a good one. It, it just It's one of those things where we need to get those kind of guys into the system that have the kind of character that we're looking for that fits the four pillars if that's you know going to be the route that we're still trying to pull guys in for. Yeah, and you wonder too, not to sidetrack us on the four pillars thing, but it seems like too that you know obviously the Rams were pretty were involved in the Vincent Jackson talk. Now that's a guy that at least on the surface, and I am saying this without actually knowing the man, but you know on the surface probably doesn't meet the four pillar test. But you know there seems like maybe they feel like they've established kind of the locker room culture, they've established the team's identity, they've. The guys are buying into the system. They're buying into who, what the team's all about, and and you know maybe they now they have starting to feel like they have some more flexibility to bring in a few guys like that. To bring in a guy that you know is going to require a little more, you know, accountability measures from from himself and from his teammates and from the coaches and and then the other players. So sure, I, I think I think well, it'll be interesting to, to see what how that works going forward. Yeah, and one thing you've got to be prepared for is that if you want, really want to bring in a young number one wide receiver, you've got to be prepared for that whole diva attitude because almost every top wide receiver now that comes into the league has that, a similar, that kind of attitude, that kind of confidence that carries over onto the field and then off the field once he starts producing. You know, it, it's not necessarily the worst thing. You just have to be prepared for it, and you have to have guys that can manage younger men who are, you know, who have dominated the field at the high school and college levels, and they get so confident in their abilities that by the time they get to the NFL, they feel unstoppable. And with a couple games, you know, a guy like Des Bryant, now granted he's relatively leveled compared to a lot of other younger top-wide receivers, but nevertheless, you've got to be prepared for that and uh, be able to handle that. That's on the coaches, and that's on the leaders in the locker room, the veterans. And so by the time we bring somebody in, maybe that's when Mark Clayton, you know, his off-field value really presents itself. Yeah, or, you know, and look at Steven, Steven Jackson, too. I think sure. one of the key contributions Steven Jackson has made over the last two years of this team isn't what he's done on the field. It's what he's done in assuming that kind of veteran leadership in the locker room, in front of the media, things like that. You know, he's demanding accountability. He's, I mean, it's a lot different from the Steven Jackson four years ago you saw. It's, it's a, it's, that's been a, a big part of, you know, his transition to, to an MVP-type player. Um, and you're, you're hearing it from a lot of the other players. You're hearing it. Yeah, a lot of the other players are saying the role that he's playing is, is having an effect. And I think that that validates, you know, what he's been doing in the locker room is that the other guys are vocally buy and publicly buying into it. Well, and that's you know, and I go back to the story that was told when Spagnuolo first came over was you know when he was with the Giants first year with the Giants as defensive coordinator, they the defense just got blown out those first two games. And he just asked him, he's like, be patient, stay with this, this will work, I promise you this will work, just keep with it, let's stick with it. And sure enough, they won the Super Bowl. Well, now with the Rams, it's kind of a similar thing. Be patient, stick with it, it'll work. And now it looks like maybe it's starting to pay dividends. Maybe it's time we're there. But who knows. I, okay, I'm going to go back to something you said about the wide receivers, about the Rams and drafting wide receivers. And that is a position – that not only have they not drafted well in recent years, I think that is kind of the transition and then the combination of the draft and the, all the other needs that have been opened up has left the Rams really suspect. You know, they had Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce for so long. Well, those guys got older for various reasons. The, the administrations have passed on those guys. 
you know, they brought in, remember the Drew Bennett thing, where they brought in Drew Bennett, and that turned out to be a huge bust. And so it kind of left them a little, the cupboard pretty bare at wide receiver, and it left you in the situation where, you know, then they draft, they go into 2008, you draft Donnie Avery and Keenan Burton, and both, well, Keenan Burton's not even with the team anymore. Right. So I, you know, this is a year where I, I, this is a year where they really have to hit a hit a home run in the draft for wide receiver. They have to repeat what they've done with Chris Long and Sam Bradford, and and uh, and and really make a definitive statement in terms of talent they bring in at that position this year, and maybe even something in free agency too. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, yeah, it seems like they have more willing to spend more money now. And the interesting thing to me about it is to see what kind of a wide receiver. I mean, we talk about the the idea that they need a number one wide receiver so often, but the number one wide receiver, and specifically your your needs in terms of a number one wide receiver, can come from a lot of different places. I mean, if you're talking about a guy that can maintain possession of the ball, it, it looks like Mark Clayton can do that for the time being, maybe even the next two years. To me, the biggest need is to have a speed threat, especially with Donnie Avery out, and now with another big injury to him. The question for me becomes, how long can we depend on Donnie Avery to be a legitimate speed threat? And there's a lot of guys that are not necessarily seniors, but draft eligible that have a lot of speed. You look at guys, I mean, in terms of the senior class, you've got Jarrell Jernigan. And if you haven't heard the name, Jarrell Jernigan is going to get thrown out a lot in April. Part of the problem is that he plays at Troy, which obviously isn't a huge media center. Uh, playing down south, but he, he's going to run a sub-4, 440. He's a tiny guy. He's only about 5'9". He may measure out at 5'10". He's pretty thin, but he runs he runs a good 40. You've got a uh, – who else? you got James Rogers, of course, at Oregon State, but he's incredibly tiny. He's like 5'7". Uh, Ronald Johnson at USC, he's always somebody to keep an eye on, as our L.A. contingent will attest to. Uh, Deontay Thompson at Florida. Now, he's about 5'11". He, he, maybe even 5'10 and uh, three-quarters. He'll run a four four a sub four four forty. He's got great top, top end speed. He's pretty quick. Chris Rainey, of course, is another guy from Florida, but with the stalking issue, I don't know if stalking fits the four pillars. I haven't seen anti stalking in our four pillars. But uh, another another under the radar candidate that I'm going to throw out here on Churchill Radio is Torrey Smith. He's a wide receiver from Maryland. He's six foot plus. He, he could measure out at six one. He could run a sub four four forty, and he's got he's got nice hips for a wide receiver. He's got nice quick hips. He moves into his breaks relatively quickly. He's somebody that I really like at the NFL level that may not be able to shine at college just because he doesn't have a ton of talent around him. Not a great offensive line, and obviously Maryland doesn't have the greatest quarterback depth of any team in the country. But Torrey Smith is somebody sure. that I I think people should keep an eye on. They could come out to ACC and make things happen in the NFL. The ACC. It's ugly. It's ugly this year, man. <laughs> it is kind of ugly. Who knows? I wonder if that'll be the next big conference shakeup. Who knows? Who knows? I, 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 it remains to be seen. We had one more comment on the side three K, and and I think it's probably a good wrap up thought. And it comes from. Let me pull in a little closer so my ancient eyes can see the type here. Uh, you ben old man. Lorraine. You old geezer. I I am an old geezer. I'm telling you what, every day it just feels like it a little bit more. Um, Dez Loram says, you know, let's talk about how pivotal this next game is. And we've kind of hit on that. And I don't – it is pivotal. This is, this, is a, this is a Seattle team that is, by all accounts, the Rams – this is our rivalry. This is a game that if you can't get fired up to play Seattle, you can't get fired up to play anybody. I – 
I mean, there's not much else to say about that for me. I mean, it's you, you got to go out, you got to beat the Seahawks. These are the Seahawks, for God's sakes. It's it's a divisional game. It's a divisional game, and it's a winnable divisional game. Every game in the division is going to be winnable as an NFC West team. We know this. It's not the strongest division, but you've got to come out and you've got to put a foot forward so that the the team understands that, look, there there are standards that have to be met, despite the fact that we're still a growing young team. It's the Seahawks. You can't – that maybe that was the most depressing game to me was week one of last season, to see the way we oh. got blown out in Seattle, and that first half just melting down at the end, and especially offensively. You've got to, you've got to provide more than that on the field, not just to the team, but to the fans as well, because we know we can do it, man. It's not, it, it's not out of the realm of, you know – possibility that we can come out and win this game. You've got to show that you're willing to do it, and you've got to put that out on the field. Got to win this game. This is a, I mean, like I say, I, I, you kind of think they're all must-win games, but my God, the chance to beat Seattle, I mean, you got to take advantage it's, of it. You've got to take advantage of it. It's a new feeling, but you got to be ready to take it on. You do. Well, and you know, I, I, people listening to the show, listening to it live, or they're going to come back and listen on the site, you know, we, I've I've probably noticed we haven't talked a lot about the game itself last week, other than maybe to compare a few things for uh, and put it in the context of Week Four against Seattle. And I, I'm of I'm of a similar mind as Spagnolio. It's one win. It's great. It felt great, but you got to move on. It's one win, just like you got to move on from a, one loss. You got to move on. You can't dwell on that. That can't be your whole season. I'm, I'm a I'm a I'm just, you know, as enjoyable and as what a confidence boost it was. It's the past. We got to win another game now. And I think that's the interesting thing. That's the big storyline I think for the Rams this game is that we've won so rarely over the past three years that you've got to get over the hangover of the win and come out to treat this game and and the you know the early minutes of this game the same way you do against the Redskins. You have to treat every game individually and prepare yourself individually and get motivated individually and get fired up to play the first quarter through the last quarter to, to, through the fourth quarter and overtime if needed like it's the last game of the season. You've got to come with Absolutely. it. I know the Rams haven't won that much, but you've got to have that mindset whether you're a team coming off a 1 and 15 season or whether you're the Saints who just won the Super Bowl. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 3K looks like the clock it's about that time. Um, that's good, man. I got, a, I got college football to get to, man. I got people uh, to watch. Right. Wisconsin, Michigan State, Texas, Oklahoma. You got games tonight. I got things to do. Game site, things to do, people to go, places to see, baby. That's what I I'm got, talking about. I got about. People, I am, people to see. I got a baby and a wife. For, I, I can't talk to y'all right now, man. I'm on the radio. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I wish really? I could stay on the radio for about three more hours, but... I have um, a certain duty that calls. It's not an enjoyable duty. <laughs> it's uh, Anytime, anytime you call something a duty, it's not enjoyable. Nobody has enjoyable duties. If it's a duty, <laughs> it's automatically not enjoyable. Come on, man. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I, 3K, am headed to a high school sports Hall of Fame induction. That's what it seems. Needless to say, it's not my own. <sighs> I feel a bit sentimental. I've always waited for the Texas Football High School Hall of Fame to, to make a call to old 3K, go back and look at well, the game. Well, the only thing about the Texas you know High School Football Hall of Fame is, is the Texas High School Football Hall of Fame will be a pretty damn impressive group of people. 
Yeah, and I have now, absolutely no shot. But just to get a call to say, hey, you're up for selection, you know? Yeah, brings absolutely. Brings a tear to my absolutely. eye. Absolutely. Well, I, you know, this is for um, this isn't for football. This is for golf. So. Well, hey, golf is like football. Well, it is. Um, it's a ball. I mean, you know. Yeah. And you uh, <laughs> there's the uh. You got the tees, you know, kickers got tees. Come on, golf is practically football, minus the khaki. Exactly, exactly. Well, you know, it's just talking about duty, it's one of those things you got to do. It's it's part of the family. (laughs) Mine is the family business. That's what I'm talking about. So, 3K, I'm going to get some socks on and hit the road. I'm going to listen to some college football on the radio on the road. I'm going to be thinking about the Rams. Beating the Seahawks starting at noon Central Time tomorrow. We'll have the threads up as usual. We'll roll it over so we don't get too crowded, don't get too many comments in one thread. Um, 3K, parting words. Man, I always got the same two. Go Rams. Go Rams. That's what I got to say. Callers, if you didn't get to call in, call in, call in next week. Leave some comments on the site. Holler at us. We'll see you later. 3K, I'm out. Take care. Go do your duty. Go Rams. Go do your duty, everybody. Hey, everybody. It's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Also, you listen to podcasts, check it out.